this morning is he worthy of all praise what a mighty God we serve amen we don't have any requests that's been submitted but we know the needs among us the Ross, Ross Oglesby the drone butts amen we we'll also remember sister Marilyn Griffin I don't see her here this morning Lord to just touch her and her body I don't see sister Rachel Ware here as well I know she's been sick needing a touch from the Lord, so ask the Lord to reach down and touch her as well. Also, of course, want to continue to remember Ron, Brother Ron Spencer. Amen. The Lord will just give him a complete touch in his body. Amen. I, I, I believe God's going to do that for us. Amen. Also, the other needs, the different cancers, Laura Collins as well. Amen. Different needs, some serious needs in the body. The Ukrainian believers as well It's being bombed again today And I don't know, it's been about 15 days of it or so I just want to remember them today How many would have a need? I want to make known to the Lord I'm asking Brother Aaron if he'd come and open our service in prayer today Let's just pray together Amen, let's approach the throne of grace this morning together Heavenly Father, Lord, what a privilege and an honor it is, Lord, just to have the opportunity to come into your presence, Lord. Lord, to lift up the name of Jesus, the name that is above all names. Lord, to have the opportunity this morning to come and worship you, Lord, in, in freedom and worship you in spirit and worship you in truth. Lord, we gather together this morning, Lord, unhindered, unfettered, Lord, with an opportunity. Lord, and I pray that every person in this building this morning will recognize what an opportunity this is. That it's not just any Sunday morning and that we're just doing our duty and coming to church. But, Lord, even right now, I think about the Ukrainian believers and how they would love to have this opportunity right now. Lord, just to sit amongst the believers in peace and have the opportunity to worship, Lord. Lord, I'm just thankful, Lord God, that you're here with us. And I just pray that you'll continue to watch over those in the Ukraine. Lord, that your hand of mercy and grace will just continue to, Lord, guide them and, and watch every footstep and keep every harm out of their way, Father. And, Lord, I know many have been able to evacuate to other places, but each one of them, I'm just asking a special touch this morning. Lord, as the testimonies have come back, that they are there, Lord, and they're worshiping you in every place they can. They're still gathering, Lord, in houses or in bunkers or wherever it may be, Lord. And, Lord, the reports are that they're, they're without fear, that they know who it is that holds them, that they know who it is that holds tomorrow lord i just pray that it will continue that way father lord i pray each one of us will come to that place regardless of what we're facing today that we face it without fear knowing lord that our lives are in your hands lord knowing that you said you know the plans that you have for us lord lord their plans to prosper us their plans for health lord their plans lord to see us to an expected end Lord, and we gather this morning with faith in that word, and with faith in you, Lord, for you have never failed us. You have never let us down, Lord. Lord, you promised you'd be in our midst, and we know beyond any shadow of a doubt that you are here, that you will speak to our hearts. 
Lord, I'm asking you today, Lord, that every one of our, our praises as they go up, that they'll be pleasing to you, Father. Lord, that you'll just move, Lord, from pew to pew, down each aisle, from heart to heart. Lord, dealing with each situation, we know that you are still the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, Lord, and we've seen it time after time, Lord. We know that you are still the healer, Lord, for not only does your word declare it, Lord, that makes it eternally true, but we have also witnessed it, Lord. Lord, not only in this congregation, but around the world, that you are still the healer, that your stripes still heal, Lord, that that blood still delivers, that blood still sets free, Lord. Lord, I'm just asking you that as the word goes forth this morning, Lord, that it be anointed, Lord, for it is the anointing that will break every chain. Lord, that anointing go forth, Lord, and may it free every heart. Lord, every heart bound down with anxieties and fears and depressions, whatever it may be, every sickness in this building, Lord, those battling cancer. Lord, Brother Ross, Lord, Sister Wilson, Lord, Brother Jerome, there's different ones, Lord. Lord, but we've seen cancer defeated in our day. We've seen, Lord, that it can't stand before, Lord, the prayer of righteous believers, Lord, when they raise up and they begin to believe nothing can stand before those prayers. And so, Lord, we believe today that not even cancer will stand. Lord, those battling sickness, Lord, you know the ones mentioned, Sister Marilyn, Sister Rachel, Lord, and countless others, I'm sure. I'm asking that even today the healing angel begin to go by their way and begin to touch and move. And, Lord, you know the needs of your body worldwide. Lord, it's, it's your bride. It's your people. And I know you care. Lord, and I know you're already moving. I know you're already working. Lord, we've seen the miraculous already for our brother Ron. Lord, but we're looking, Lord, for complete, total victory in that situation, Father. Lord, a testimony to the glory, Lord, of the healing power of Almighty God. Lord, for Sister Collins there, Lord, you know it seems hopeless. Lord, but even now. Lord, that's where our faith is at, that even now, Lord, you can move on her behalf, Lord, and do the miraculous. Lord, we're just so thankful to have a mighty God. We're thankful, Lord God, for all that you have done. We're thankful for Calvary, Lord. We're thankful for the resurrection, Lord. We're thankful for Pentecost, Lord. We're thankful for every move of the Spirit down through the ages, Lord. We're thankful that you sent a prophet and a message in this day. And Lord, we gather today in need of you. Lord, and we give you thanks now for what you're going to do, for we know it will be mighty, Lord, for you are a mighty, miracle-working God. Have your way in this service. Now we pray, Father. We commit it all to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you today. Amen. As uh, you know, we have a construction site that's going on back here. Quite a bit of dangerous stuff looks like back there, so all of that playground everything will be off limits today so if you would remember that when we dismiss today to keep your kids with you or send them to their cars one of the two amen god bless you i know we have quite a few visitors also here today and we want to welcome you amen uh, uh all the way from belgium amen some all the way from belgium that's amazing amen brother sebastian sister amy dexter is here and the dexter family others i believe from is it from Tennessee? Amen. God bless you today. Amen. I want you to turn around and welcome each other here today. Amen. To the house of the Lord. Amen. We're going to have a baby dedication this morning, so we're going to invite them to come today. Amen. To dedicate their baby. Brother Mark and Sister Michelle Mitchell. Bring them in. Bring them in. Bring the lips
bundle, bundle of joy right here. You did it right, Mark, Michelle. Um, it's a little boy amongst all these little girls we've been having. He's going to be a well-sought-out little fellow after a few years. <laughs> Amen. I uh, love his name, Seth Nehemiah. It's um, appointed, and appointed comfort, if you put it together. And uh, I think, you know, it's, it's great comfort in this hour and this time when we can present our little ones to the Lord and knowing in a troublesome hour like this that the Lord is present and he's present to be with us uh, during many trying times. And of course, there's trying times coming upon the world and we're preparing to escape them. Amen. But in the midst of all of that, God gives courage and faith to believers to bring little children into the world and to uh, trust God and believe that the Lord will be with us during this time and give us sustain and strength in this hour. And, uh, you know, it's comforting to me to see little children uh, being raised up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord and that um, the gospel is, goes on and people keep believing and the word keeps manifesting itself. So we're thankful for this little one that we hold in our arms today. We just want to dedicate it to the Lord. So let's just pray together. Father, we love you today and we thank you for your many blessings to us. For the grace that you have provided for us. And Lord, it is your grace that has brought us to this moment and this time. And we thank you for that amazing grace. Lord, we thank you for Mark and Michelle and their decision to follow you some many years ago. And now seeing the added blessings that you have put as they um, first selected a mate and found each other. And then, Lord, you blessed their home now with this little bundle of joy. I pray that it will bring comfort to their home and, Lord, that it will be something that you divinely appointed. Now, Father, I bless this child and ask your grace upon it that the angel of God will watch over it from this time on and that the Holy Spirit will always draw near him. And, Father, that you'll bless him with health and strength and bring his heart to come to know you. In the day ahead, Lord, at that time appointed, if, we should if you should tarry. Now, Lord, we commit him to you. Ask, Lord, your blessings upon these parents, that you'll bless them in every way that they'll be able to provide for this child. We thank you for his grandparents and extended families that are believers. And then the church here. May we all work together to nurture this child and raise children for the kingdom of God. Thank you for the trust you gave us. Thank you for this family. Thank you for their dedication to you. And we give this child to you now because only you can take care of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Congratulations. Man, we're so happy for you. God good to give us so many blessings undeserving love and praise him 
a little more today Oh, ain't God good To give us so many blessings undeserving That's what we are We ought to thank Him Love and praise Him And a whole lot more tomorrow Well, ain't God good so many blessings Oh, that's what we are Ask the brothers to take it off for this morning For tomorrow There is power Power, wonder working power In the blood of the Lamb There is power Wow.
say I'm blessed. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. It doesn't matter what the day is, I'm blessed. Right. doesn't matter if I'm having a good day, bad day, so-so kind of day, whatever kind of day, I'm blessed. Amen. And we're here this morning, we're blessed. Amen. Amen. We were just singing a while ago about the power of the blood, and some of you wasn't acting like you know anything about the power Amen. of the blood. Amen. How many knows about the power of the blood? 
Hallelujah. As he saved you, as he washed you, as he cleansed you, as he healed you, as he delivered you, as he set you free. Oh, come on now. Do you know about the power of the blood? Amen. I know we got a time change and it's kind of got us down. But I, even in a time change, there's still power. Hallelujah. We ain't run out of power. Well, some of you have. Why don't y'all just clock out and go back home? <laughs> How many come to have church? How many come to rejoice in the praises of Almighty God? How many come to give you all to Him? Because He gave His all to you. I know about the power of the blood. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now I believe we can sing a song that's very special to me. Key of E flat. Down from His glory. Also just tell him this morning how much you love him. Hallelujah. Down from his glory. Oh, yes. Oh, thank you, Jesus. My God and God gracious 
God, as we bow before that throne of grace today, we think of what you did for bringing us redemption, the price you paid, the mighty things that you have done in this generation to bring forth a restoration 
And here we are, Lord, where the prophecies are now being fulfilled. And the Word of God is now being made manifested in bride form. And Satan and all of hell is against the revelation that Christ has come. And he's here today in bride form. And he's coming again. We'll meet him in the air. And ascend with him with all the resurrected saints. It's been the promise of the ages. But we are the ones upon whom the promise has come. I pray, Lord, today that you'll just move in a mighty way. Father, that you'll move the man part out and just let us be an oracle of God. And Father, that you'll also deal with here, that you'll give them ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. May every person make a place in their heart to receive the word today. <clears throat> if it's just getting a little rid of a little self or a little pride or a little ambition or something that isn't right, Lord, let it be that everything gets moved aside so that there's room for Christ in their life. I pray, Lord, for healing for those that are sick, deliverance for your children, Lord, that you cause the weary hands that hang down to be raised. Lord, that you cause faith to be elevated so that it reaches the level of the promise, that you'll cause your people, Lord, to be what they're called, believers. Lord, that they really believe. I ask in the name of Jesus that you'll bless your children that is assembled together today. Those around the world, Lord, that are listening in. Father, we ask that you would bless them in a mighty way. Some of them have written, expressing their anticipation for this service today. They've already met in their local churches. And now it's across the world in their time. It's evening time. I pray, Lord, that as the message goes forth, you'll stir their hearts to believe and to receive from you. Now, in Jesus' name, we ask these things. As we open up the word today, open up our hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. If you'll turn with me to Mark chapter 4, we'll read from the 26th verse, and then we'll let you be seated. Man, what wonderful hours that we're living in. If you'll give me a little more sound up here, there's none. Mark chapter 4, verse 26. And he said, So is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground, and should sleep and rise day, night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up. He knoweth not how, for the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear, but when the fruit is brought forth immediately, he putteth in the sickle, because harvest is come. Amen. May God bless you. You can be seated. Be turning with me to Genesis chapter 17. As we just speak about that harvest is come, I believe we are in a very wonderful hour where it is a harvest season. We are seeing the um, visions that have been spoken of for this hour come to fruition. We, um, we, we know that already there's driverless cars and taxis in the streets of America. We see a woman vice president 
that um, is in the high offices of, of our country. We also have a Catholic president. And so we have certainly behind him a beautiful but cruel woman pulling the strings in the White House. And so we, we see a gathering together as they, as they um, bind themselves together with um, the goal to uh, stop climate change. But I just got news for them that climate's going to change. This world is going to burn with fire. And so nothing, nothing they can do can prevent that because they've sent away their day of grace. And um, the word of God is against them. In the meantime, we, we have been told to watch Russia, watch Russia keep our eyes on the king of the north, and uh, of course we are watching, the world is watching, everybody's eyes is on Russia right now, as she gathers up her cubs, the old mother bear, uh, gathering up her cubs and uh, forcing the rest of the world into a union. And... Um, and America, of course, is turned to speak as a dragon. We've never heard her speak so devilish in our life as she comes against um, religious freedoms and freedoms of all sorts. Uh, um, you know, as she goes running over every, everything, we see an economy that's falling. We see the world that is falling all around us in many, many ways. And um, as it is happening, of course, Russia is in, invading the Ukraine. And that now has uh, caused Israel to do a gathering. And right now, Israel is gathering hundreds, if not thousands, of her, uh, of her Jewish people, gathering those, those last stragglers back to their promised land. And uh, that's not all of it, but in this harvest time, there's also a bride that is gathering. A revival that is happening, and I'm glad to be a part of that revival. And, and so we should possess to, for our promises as the spirit of prophecy is among us. Wednesday night, I'm sure you noticed and knew that the spirit of prophecy was here among us, and, and God speaking and revealing himself. And uh, we want to just continue to move on as, into the things of God today. And just look and see where we are in time. Now, last Sunday I was speaking or was trying to um, breach the subject on um, Abraham coming to El Shaddai. And today we want to take that a little further. So if you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter 17, I would like to read from there this morning. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with thee. And thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of these, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant 
to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger and all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. And and God said to Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised, and ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man child in your generations. And he that is born in the house or bought with money of any stranger which is not of, my, that, which is not of thy seed. He that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised man-child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. And God said unto Abraham, as far as, as for Sarah thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be, and I will bless her, and give thee a son also of her, yea, I will bless her, And she shall be a mother of nations and kings of people shall be of her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed. Thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. And he left off talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. Amen. These are wonderful words that we have read today and sharing in this. First of all, we spoke of the church. uh, Jesus did. He uh, compared it with with, uh, a wheat plant as it goes from, from the grain back to the grain again. And he said, the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Then we would see that how that Abraham um, brings and starts on his journey. We took it last Sunday. We were dealing with justification and sanctification and the stations of Abraham's life and his walk with God. And remember, it is a walk. You know, remember, God called him to walk with him. And that's the thing. No matter where you are, you must walk with him. You cannot stay in one place. And too many stay, have stayed in one place way too long. Amen. And, but, you know, as, as Abraham would come to a place, he would build an altar and dig a well. And certainly, perhaps you had worship there and you had revival there. 
but it's time for you to make another step forward. And, you know, the, the assumption is that, that once we lose that experience of that first meeting, that joy that came with it, that feeling of relief of sins forgiven, uh, it becomes stale and stagnant as though that the flow becomes choked or blocked somehow. And this is very common, too common with too many Christians. You know, there was a mountaintop experience, a, a, a period of the reality of Christ. It was unmistakable. And, and then there comes a slow drifting away. And, and then there was a brief moment of intense love and of joy and deep running peace and, and a period of, of wholeness. When without straining, you, you found yourself patient and kind and gentle. You see, it was a time of believing. And then a dull dryness takes over. And, and I just, um, you know, as we think of that, I, I ponder, really, are Christians, are believers supposed to just live on a memory of what they experienced in the past? You know, memories fade and they become confused. But contrary to that, the Holy Ghost is, is described as a river of living water, and it doesn't come stale or stagnant. It's a flowing stream. And God was trying to bring Abraham in his walk to a place where he met um, El Shaddai as a flowing stream, as the, as the God who supplied all his needs, as the God who is more than enough that from him would supply nutrients and, and a continual flow of goodness. You know, um, you see, in the early church, there was always an excitement, a stern of life in that early church. And the church today, by and large, has, has lost this. Many times we look around and, and we ask, uh, where are the changed lives? And where, where is a belief that men will die for? Those early believers in the book of Acts, they received their vitality from the Spirit of God, from an experience. And that experience was called the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And that's what El Shaddai is. It's the place where in type that Abraham was baptized with the Holy Ghost. He meets El Shaddai, who is the breasted God. We'll go into that a little more. But from him came resources of life. And it was an inexhaustible resource. It wasn't a one and done thing. It was there for every moment, every hour, for a daily walk, for a continual consecration. And so, you see, in that early church, they went from glory to glory. Because on the day of Pentecost, they met the Almighty God who empowered them with strength and changed their name and gave them a seal of circumcision gave them a guarantee of the covenant within their own, with their own set. Maybe others couldn't see it, but they knew. They had experienced it. They had had it. They knew the, the pain of being separated from the world and from sin and, and, and the, the dying of the old man. But they knew also the joy of being marked by God and being claimed by the Holy Ghost. 
And so, you see, this is what happened on the day of Pentecost. It was that, it was that grain of wheat. It was that harvest season. It was that time of, renew, of, of renewal where, where it comes to fruition of every promise being manifested. Things that had been laying hidden in the scriptures now come to light. As, a, as even Peter will preach and he'll pull out of Joel's prophecy and say, this is that. And he'll look back in other scriptures and he'll identify what God is doing because it's all now coming in a seed form. But eventually through the successive years that followed, the church began to drift. It began to lose its first love. And it would crumple into a backslidden church until it becomes so buried in error. So in blatant falsehoods and formalisms. And that original church then became like a buried seed that began to deteriorate. And soon it was nothing like, nothing like the original church. And finally a fledgling leaf would struggle from the ground into the light. And, and, of course, that was Luther. And, and as we brought with Abraham, the same thing, that divine call to the promised land of the Holy Ghost was justification. Now, justification is an act of God whereby he pronounces a sinner to be righteous because of that sinner's faith in Christ. Justification is a release from sin. And though it is not the baptism of the Holy Ghost, it is an experience of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Justification does come by the Spirit of God. Justification per se does not make anybody holy. It simply declares him as not guilty before God and therefore he is treated as holy. The actual change toward holiness in the sinner occurs in sanctification. It is like Brother Branham would use the, the, the uh, illustration of a cup that he would find in a chicken pen. He would pick it up and he said, it's a good cup. You know, it may be even mama's best china. It's a good cup. There's nothing wrong with the cup. It's dirty. It's filthy. You see, justification picked you up. Amen. It picked you up and identified you. Amen. It said you are you're a good cup. Amen. And and you're I'm gonna justify you're justified. You could be used in mama's kitchen again. But you see, you're dirty, so you need sanctifying. So with the bleach and the cleansing and the washing and the purging and, and whatever you had to do to clean it up, you restore you restore it and you set it in mama's in mama's kitchen. Right? But you see, it's now sanctified and set apart for service. But that's not the end of the cup. The cup will be filled. Amen. And put into the master's use. Are you with me? That's the baptism of the Holy Ghost to be filled with him. Now, of course, as you know, uh, it's like playing the, the game of baseball. You can't skip a base. You can't jump from justification and then get filled with the Holy Ghost. It don't happen. You have to be sanctified. Amen. In the days of, of Wesley, the church advanced 
from a justified state to a sanctified state. Now, to sanctify something is to set it apart for special use. To sanctify a person is to make him holy. Now, Brother Branham would tell us in the message that count down, he would tell us these experiences were real. Let me, let me just go and cap them over for you a minute by this quote. He said, I want you to remember that the church, called church, is not the church. The church is the church spiritual. And 10,000 times 10,000 of Lutherans that joined the church knew no more about justification than a hog knew about a side saddle. They knew nothing of it. And in the Wesley age, how tens of thousands professed sanctification, they knew nothing more about the sanctification power of God than a rabbit does about snowshoes. They absolutely didn't know it. But there was a people who achieved it. I want you to get this in mind. Even though you look and you see failures, there's somebody going to achieve it. Amen. He said, now, you see where I'm getting to? There was somebody who knew what justified meant in the sight of God, having peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There was some of those Lutherans who were loyal. They believed it. No matter what the Catholic Church said, they believed God's word. They stood on it because the messenger that age preached, the just shall live by faith. And they believed in a justified state. And they were able by the grace of God to achieve justification, having peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then along came the Methodists with sanctification. There was many of those Methodists were actually sanctified. Now a lot of them claimed, claimed it and knew nothing about it. The Methodist church taught sanctification. They, they said they got down and they cried and they got back up and said, glory to God, I'm sanctified. And they went right on living like they always did. But some of those men and women was actually sanctified from the things of the world and lived a consecrated, set-apart life. Now, you see, those would be the bride of that age. They would be those who will come up in the great resurrection and be resurrected and go in the rapture with us. Now, they're because they are people who had a real experience with God. Now, through the experience of sanctification, the, the wheat plant was moving back toward the original grain. And Wesley became like the tassel. It was the pollination age and the gospel would spread worldwide and missionary societies would raise up and, and Bible societies and, and, and the gospel would be spread everywhere. It was the pollen age. Now, you see, in your walk with God, you cannot bypass sanctification. You must be cleansed and die out to your bad habits. Out to the world. Now, and this is what Brother Branham told us in Countdown. He said, if a man sets a thought on just justification, in other words, believing on the Lord, or just receiving the message, or just saying, God sent a prophet, or I believe a certain theology, or certain aspects of the doctrines of the message, that's all you got to have. He's wrong. He said, if a man sits on the thought of just justification is all you got to have, he's wrong. He's got to be wrong. And if the church believes like many of the Pentecostals, he's talking about the full gospel charismatics, that the Holy Ghost is it, 
that's just repent and get the Holy Ghost, that's wrong. Because you got to get sanctification in there to cleanse before the Holy Ghost comes in. If you don't, you leave out the blood. So again, again, this would be the issue that we would face as uh, there would be millions, millions of people added to, uh, to the, the church that would be have, a, have a, um, an experience of what they call baptism in the Holy Ghost. And they would do it and not even be sanctified. They would do it and not, and not even their lives changed. They would speak in tongues and have a gift of the Spirit without having the Spirit. Now, originally, though, the original Pentecostal movement at, at, a, at Azusa Street, they all believed in the sanctified life. They did not bypass sanctification. They believed in holiness. That was their roots. They all came from the holiness movement. Women didn't cut their hair. Men didn't follow hippie fads. But you know, the war came and, and uh, women went to the factories. And while, while the men were at war, and for some, their uniforms would require pants, and cross-dressing began to be popular. It began to be accepted as a, as a you know, they, I mean, today people look and they still kind of frown on a man cross-dressing, but women do it all the time. Amen. But cross-dressing began to be popular. Soon women were wearing pants to everything but, but formal events. And, uh, you know, there again, um, they, they began to, um, they didn't go, they didn't wear them to church. And among the Pentecostal churches like the Assembly of God and other Trinity Pentecostal churches, they began to embrace a new doctrine and it was called women's liberation. And the women's liberation, as they embraced it, they shed their holiness beliefs. And the women began to cut their hair and paint their face and cross-dress, wearing men's apparel, taking men's position, and the traditional family was gone from the Pentecostal churches. All the while still claiming to receive the Holy Ghost because they spoke in tongues, because they had a gift from the Spirit and not the Spirit himself. The Spirit of God leads you into sanctification. Now, a modern device called television crept into people's homes and, and it made sin absolutely beautiful and glamorous. You know, it made it, oh, it was the chick thing to do, it was the popular thing to do. But as Brother Branham has said, the devil landed here a few years ago and with his great army and hit in Hollywood, California, and he's invaded the United States with his demon powers and, and it gave them all one mind. You remember, this is the working of the beast to give them all one mind where they all think alike. And so it has happened that, uh, that, that it has changed the thinking of, uh, of the Christians even today. Where, and, and look back and we can see programs that we can look back on is now as something that looks very innocent, like I Love Lucy. They were, they, they were among the first, though, that mocked and belittled the housewife. And before you know it, traditional marriage and traditional families were mocked and scorned, and, and soon people had one mind 
from that one vision of hell. And Hollywood stars were, that Hollywood stars were patterned after, they patterned after an inspiration from hell. And, and, they, and, and now, again, in the churches, they begin to pattern after that vision. And they patterned their dress. They wore their makeup to look like them. And as early as 1954, Brother Branham, when he's preaching on Abraham, he talks about how Abraham strayed from the promised land. And he said, so had the church until the church had become backslidden. And, and so it, they were so backslidden until even the Baptists, whose doctrine was founded on justification by faith in Christ, backslid over eternal security. They were once saved, always saved. You know, there, was, uh, there, there, is a true, there is a true eternal security where once you're truly filled with the Holy Ghost, you're sealed to the day of redemption. You are sealed in with Christ and the devil is sealed out. So there is a truth to eternal security. But they took eternal security to of once saved, always saved to the extreme and began to look at sin as though it didn't matter. It was something, you know, everybody has that we can't overcome. It's just frivolous. You know, it didn't matter what you did because you confessed Jesus as your savior. So it don't make any difference how you live. Make no difference how you dress. God doesn't look on the outside. God looks on the inside. And so, you know, they, they would say, that doesn't make any difference to me about sin, a little beer in the refrigerator, a little cocktail with the boss, a little uh, uh, extra kiss with the secretary, a little bit, you know, married two or three, four times. That doesn't really matter. God looks on the heart. And I'm justified. I've accepted him as Savior. And so they begin to believe that they were saved in their sins, not from their sins. And so, again, when, if you're really, truly saved, you don't want to do those things. You see, sin desire has to be dealt with or you cannot be truly saved. Now, so the Baptists would lose their holiness. Those people wouldn't go to dances. They used to maybe trim their hair, but they wouldn't bob it. Women wore skirts too, and especially to church. And they became so secure in believing, once saved, always saved. I had a Baptist man tell me as he lit one cigarette off of another, he was divorced twice and was contemplating a third marriage. And a few weeks before, he'd been arrested for drunk driving, and, and, uh, and he, he was um, he was saying, you know, Brother Tim, I am sure of my salvation. If the rapture would happen this minute, I know I would go up to meet the Lord. I, I'm anticipating the coming of the Lord any day. Now, so sure was he of his justification that his sins were forgiven, that he was, he was convinced he was ready to meet God that moment and needed nothing further. Now, you see, the Christian church began to look more like the world, dressing like the world, losing its holy life. You, you often wonder, why did Brother Branham 
constantly struck out against it. It was where the church was going. He was, he was hollering and screaming to them, don't go over that waterfall. Turn around before it's too late. He was trying to get them to repent and to come back to God. And finally, he couldn't get them to repent. So he said, get out of that boat. Come out of her, my people. Amen. That's going over into the tribulation. That's going to seek out yonder somewhere. Get out of it while you got a chance and flee to the ark of safety. Get into Jesus Christ. Now, all of them, the Baptist Methodists, the Pentecostal, the feminist movement affected the church. Even the Pentecostal, the liberation of women had begun. They were moving this, what they thought was shackles and chains of holiness. And this, this transformed the women, thrusting them into a modern feminist move. And soon every shred of a, of a holy dress and every, a holy look was totally gone from them. And Brother Branham was constantly crying out against it. You wonder sometimes why he would be so hard. You know, why it was he saw where the church was going. And, and he saw that they were bypassing the very works of sanctification. As he, as he said um, in Unconditional Covenant, those things such as bob, or dancing and, and card parties and, and playing and, and bobbing your hair and painting your lips and manicuring your face and all that thing is the attributes of unbelief. And that hurts Pentecost, but that's what's good for you, brother. That's right, couldn't walk the old narrow path. Just like a hog going to swallow, a dog to its vomit. And there's where the Pentecostal churches return. Oh, you don't hear very many amens, but I tell you, brother, it's the honest and good truth. You see, they, they were rejecting that. They were turning them around. Here he was a voice of warning, the voice of God speaking out in that day and time that the whole word matters. Every word matters. Man shall live by every word. Not just some of it, but every word. And it all matters. And he said, what the trouble of it is, the devil landed up here in Hollywood and come through television, stripped off our women, and done everything there was and ungodly to be done. And, and people call it all right. And here come your latter rain, scatter rain, or whatever it was. And actually, it was the full gospel move calling themselves the latter rain. And, and that became the big charismatic move called liberation of women and everything like that. And he said, it's a disgrace. It's the works of the devil. You ain't going to love me after the night, brother. But when I meet you at the judgment bar, I'll be clean of the thing. And that's one thing. Sure, I'm going to tell you the truth about it. Amen. The word amen means so be it. And that's why Brother Bradham preached so hard against cutting hair. What the Bible says about it. Amen. This is what the Bible said. It painted the face. He used the example of Jezebel and, and vamping men and, and the whole sexual revolution that began. And then the cross dressing, which was a spirit of perversion that grew from out of that until men don't even know how to be a man anymore. Now, so yet they still spoke in tongues and prophesied they were still claiming the Holy Ghost and receiving the baptism without sanctification. Now, 
as he said, there's this great doctrine among the Pentecostal people of the liberation of women. They're wearing great long earrings and doing all kinds of dressings. A young fellow sat in front of my house a few days ago in a little truck crying that his wife, Pentecostal, speaks with tongues, gives prophecy, and said the whole church wears shorts, and she goes right on the street at 8 or 9 o'clock at night picking up little cigarette stumps that others had thrown away and smoking and still shouting, praising the Lord and giving prophecies. Now, prophecies and tongues are gifts of the Holy Spirit. They are not the Holy Spirit. Now, so here was the church now. Again, they had stopped at justification all the way trying to claim the Holy Ghost, but instead of getting the Holy Ghost, and we'll get into our lesson this morning, they took the breath of denomination instead, a dogma that if you speak in tongues that you got the Holy Ghost. Now, so again, but Abraham was led by God. He went through, and as we've been through it, the the, the divine call to the altar age. Now we're coming to the age of the Holy Ghost. Genesis 17.1. I did that for a little background now. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said in him, I am almighty God. This word is El Shaddai. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Now this word almighty God, El Shaddai in the Hebrew, it comes from a root word shad. And that word shad means breast. So there, there, there again is, is, is we're seeing a son of Abraham that had already come from Abraham, but it came from Abraham's strength. That was Ishmael. But now there is a promise given that there will be one born of the supernatural. And to be born of the supernatural is to be born of the word. Now, the full word had not yet come. There was parts of the words revealed, justification. More light revealed, sanctification. Now, gifts of the Spirit were being light was shown on them. And a baptism, as they called it, in the Holy Ghost. But again, you know, the full word had not yet come. There were mysteries that were not yet revealed. There were truths that were not yet given. But Brother Branham tells us at the opening of the seven seals, Revelation 10, the full word is to be born in the manifestation again and vindicated by the Spirit of God in full strength. I want you to get some of these points. The full word is to be born into manifestation and it will be in its full strength. Amen. As it was when we was here on earth, manifesting the same way, doing the same things it did when it was here on earth. Amen. Hebrews 13 and 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Luke 17, 30, Jesus said, in the days, the last days, as it was in the days of Sodom, when the Son of Man, that's the word, will be revealing himself again. It'll be the same thing. 
So now there's a promise that God would reveal himself in his fullness. That the full word would come. Now, the full word would come so that there could be a, a child born of and by that word. I'm, I'm trying to make this plain to you today that this message produces a birth. And it is a word birth. Now, Brother Branham told us in birth pains, he said we're in the Laodicean church age and her messenger is promised in Malachi the fourth chapter. He promised to do it. The message is to bring back the word, bring the people back to the word. Birth to be, she is to be delivered of a new birth according to Malachi 4. So we, we've had, you know, Wesley or Luther would introduce what he called a new birth which was justification and sanctification would come and now the, the gifts would come. But Brother Branham tells us that there is to be a people that it comes of a new birth of Malachi 4. And Malachi 4 is to restore the hearts of the children back to the original apostolic fathers. So again, there would be a people restored back and have the same kind of birth that they did on the day of Pentecost. Now he says in birth pains, the word must deliver the word bride church. The church has got to be delivered out of her a bride for Christ. She's fixing to bring forth the perfect word back there and the word is coming for the word bride. As a woman is a part of a man taken from him, so the church will have to be a word-abiding church. Every word of the Bible, not systems, dogmas, nothing added to it. It'll have to be in an unadulterated, pure, virgin word. So again, the word, he said, is going to give birth to a word bride. The message is coming. It's going to give birth. There's a new birth of Malachi 4, and it is the same birth that they had back in the beginning. Now, God of this evil age, word bride, heading up in the person of the word of God made manifest in the evil age we're living. So this bride will be the person of the word made manifested. Manifesting all the word, every promise, every gift, his righteousness, his holiness, without which no man can see the Lord. A child of the supernatural was promised. You notice this. God is promising here with El Shaddai, I'm going to give you a child. And at this one, your body is now dead. You can't do this on your own. This is going to be without works, without human effort. It won't be something worked up. It won't be something imagined. It won't come by shaking the preacher's hand or joining a church. It will be an absolutely supernatural birth. But you notice, before this could happen, and the promised son came, because of Sarah's unbelief, they got ahead of the promise. And Abraham had a son of his own flesh 
born of a bondswoman and not of a, the free woman. Ishmael was Abraham's fleshly strength. While Isaac could have come only through the supernatural because Sarah was now 90. Abraham 100. God would have to restore their bodies and, and heal Sarah of her barrenness. What was God doing? God was prophesying, portraying through them, foreshadowing through their lives that what he would do at the end time, that he would change the body of the living church and resurrect the dead in Christ in order to bring forth the long-awaited promised son. But before he could come, there would have to be a bride born out of that word to present to him. And Abraham was used to show us that the promised son would be born of the supernatural and not a man's strength. Turn with me to Genesis 16 and verse 2. And Sarah said unto Abram, Behold, now the Lord has restrained me from barren. Now she's going to blame God. I am not able to do it. God didn't make provisions. I pray thee, go in unto my maid that it may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram, Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. Now, through disbelieving the promise of God was for her, Sarai decided to help God out a little bit. By offering a denomination, a bondswoman, to bring forth Christ. Now that's what men have done. They have wanted to help God out. Do it by human efforts instead of by the supernatural. Now, instead of coming to know God personally by an experience of justification, it was changed shaking hands with the preacher, making an intellectual confession of, of faith and joining a church and outward baptisms and works and human efforts. Again, with sanctification, instead of coming to know God personally by an experience of sanctification, it became self-righteous, manufactured holiness. Instead of coming to God, know him personally by an experience of the baptism of the Holy Ghost, Pentecost, the Azusa movement, they substituted speaking in tongues. And many times, this was something manufactured. A confusion of language. Just a senseless jabber. Now, Ishmael was something Abraham could produce by his own strength. That's the Pentecostal age. This is where the real twin comes into view. Because here would come the supernatural as the word was coming into view for people to be born with. And let me just say it a little differently. This Laodicean age is the age of Pentecost. This age of Pentecost would also be the harvest age where the church returns to what it was in the book of Acts. But before the grain could come, there's another stage called the shuck. Now, the shuck is the stage of the grain that it is a twin to the grain itself. It looks like original grain. It can be mistaken for for original grain. But it is not the grain. And, And because 
the true grain is where the bride returns to the bride she was at Pentecost and Azusa Street fell short of that. Now, like Ishmael looked like and he was accepted as the fulfillment of the promise, but he was not the fulfillment of the promise. He was only the shock that came before the grain. Now, God promised that the grain of wheat that he planted at Pentecost in the book of Acts would return back to grain again. Now, these other stages of the wheat plant that we read about from Jesus' own word of the blade and the toss on the shelf, they were not the promised restoration. Even as Ishmael was not the promised son, neither was Azusa Street Pentecostal the restoration of Pentecost. They were called Pentecost like Ishmael was called Abraham's seed, but he was not of the promise. He was not the one that God was bringing a rapture for. Are you with me? Now, so again, in the exposition of the church age, he said, the Lutheran age did not restore the church. It started a reformation. The Western age did not restore. Then, the, then, the, then speaking of the Azusa movement, he says, the Pentecostal age did not restore. But God has to restore, for he cannot deny his word. I, I want to get this to you. God still has to do what he said. Even though we got an Ishmael. Even though we got an Abraham seed and some would say, well, just let, let him be the one. Let him, you know, let, let him live before you. I, I'll bless him. But he's not what I'm after. I'm after one that's going to come by the supernatural. And it's going to be by you drinking from El Shaddai. It's you going to take the promises of the word. And these words there are going to be made manifest in a bride people. Listen here. He said, he said that God has to restore because he cannot deny his word. God will take the church right back to Pentecost of the beginning. So no matter what anybody says, what, how many Ishmaels are there? How many wild offsprings that are there? Amen. How many that shout and didn't get it? How many that believed and didn't get it? How many that speak in tongues and didn't get it? God is going to bring a people, amen, back to Pentecost of the beginning. The word will give birth. Amen. And it'll be a word birth just like it was on the day of Pentecost. Now, Jehovah Jireh, Brother Bradham explains this, and I'm going to read this in its entirety here. He said, we'll finish um, this, but he said, the covenant has to be confirmed with the royal seed of Abraham, which are the people out of the Gentile, not Jews, a people out of the Gentile for his namesake, taking it for his name. The church that's got his name will come back into him because that who she is, her life. Listen, when the Holy Ghost fell on the day of Pentecost, the life was given to the church. And that church went right out and produced. They wrote a book behind that church, a book of Acts. And what it did, because it was as Christ in the apostles. Now, Jesus said in John 15, I am the vine, you're the branches, and the vine does not bear fruit. The branch bears the fruit. It is energized by the vine. Well, now, if that limb 
first one come out on that tree produced the book of Acts, if it ever puts out another limb, it'll be the same life. And he uses the example of what he saw at John Cherrick's farm where he took him into his citrus grove and he showed him a tree that he was experimenting with. And it was an orange tree. And it had oranges and lemons and grapefruits and, and tangerines and tangelos and about nine or ten different fruits. And Brother Branham asked him, what kind of fruit is tree is that? And he said, oh, this is my experiment. And he said, but it's an orange tree. He said, well, what are all these other fruits doing on there? He said, well, I grafted on there. And he said, um, said, so next year, when it blossoms and brings forth fruit, then this that is bearing lemons here will bear oranges, right? And he said, no, it won't bear oranges. It'll bear lemons. And he says, oh, well, uh, you know, uh, it's coming out of an orange tree. I, I don't see how I can do it. He said, well, because it's been grafted in. And it's, a, it's nature is lemon. And he said, you know, but what, what about it? He said, if that tree puts forth a branch of its own, he said, it'll bear oranges just like the original root was. Now he said, oh, brother, that when the Holy Spirit come up onto that vine, it produced from its vine the first branch, they wrote a book of Acts behind it. If that tree ever puts forth another original limb, if that tree, it'll grow the same thing, it'll be Jesus Christ. Now, we've got Methodist, Presbyterian, Baptist, Lutheran, everything else was grafted into it, barren denominational fruit, but if it ever puts forth another branch, she will be a genuine, Christ-filled, Christ-centered, word of God. Amen, that's what the bride is to be. Amen, genuine, Christ-filled, Christ-centered, word of God, amen. Then he talks about the, the bride tree and his message on that. And he said, well, what the palmer worm ate, the canker worm, you know, what one left, the, the other ate. And, and he said, until the whole thing was eaten down, the Methodists ate and the Baptists ate, and they each took their part. And the whole thing is cut down, but that's not the end of the tree. The word says, I will restore, saith the Lord. Hallelujah. All the years, I will send back another church. I'm quoting now. I'll send back another church in the last days. Hallelujah. Amen. I will restore that original power again. In the evening time, it shall be light. Down in the heart of the tree, no matter how many branches have been pruned, there will come forth the royal seed of Abraham. God promised that he would do it. I will restore all the years, denominations eight. I will restore all the years. I pruned the thing off, but yet there will come a vine or a branch out of the heart of it. And that branch, he said, will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. It'll bring forth its fruits in its season. It will not, its leaf will not wither. Amen. It will, it, will not, it will not die and decay. Are you with me? Amen. It'll be an everlasting, eternal tree. And he said that the branch, it will be energized by the life of the vine. Jesus having no lips but your lips, no eyes but yours and mine. 
Amen. No hands but yours and mine. He energizes us. Oh, listen, that's the power of the Holy Ghost. Energizing the people. Setting them on fire. Are you with me now? Amen. Whether it's preaching the gospel or whatever it is. By, or seeing a vision by the eye, laying hands on the sick. It's Christ working through the branches of that church, ever office, literally electrified by his presence. Amen. Hallelujah. You don't have to live a backslidden, complacent life unless you've been cut off of the tree. But I'll tell you, if you're in the tree, the light that is in that tree will energize the branch and bring forth the power out of that branch. Hallelujah. Listen, it has been prophesied. The promised seed will come. Amen. There has to be somebody that is in the image of the Lord. There has to be a church that believes in the full gospel. There has to be a church that has the full word manifesting itself. Not just part of the word, the full word manifested through a bride people because she's a word bride. But there will also be another who will not be of the promise. That was the Zeus of Pentecost. It was not the seed. And although like Ishmael was the seed of Abraham, it's not the promised seed. Yet, God would appear to Hagar. I'm trying to get something to you. Because you're going to, you, you know, there will be signs, wonders, miracles. There will be manifestations. There will be healings when people believe. Are you with me? Amen. Yeah, so, you know, the angel appeared to Hagar and showed her springs of water, revivals. They will have revivals, great meetings, miracles, signs, wonders. But so will the bride. Come on. Amen. It's not not just the angel appearing out here to Hagar. It's not just blessing on them. It's on Isaac. In Isaac shall thy seed be blessed. Don't lose sight of who we are. Genesis 17, 20. As far as Ishmael, I've heard thee. Behold, I will bless him. I have made him fruitful. I'll make him a great nation. I've made great denominations out of them. Amen. They get blessed. Prosper, big buildings, great programs. They do great things. They're gathering. Don't count all of them out. Some of them are in the book of life. Some of them wind up at the white throne judgment after the tribulation. On the other side of the millennium and are given life. But they're not Isaac. They're not the promised seed. I want, to get you, I want to get you here because my covenant, verse 21, I will I establish with Isaac the supernatural seed. Amen. Yet there will be great gatherings. There will be great moves. There will be great bindings. Great harvest time. Some will be bound together and their common thread will be gifts of the spirit. 
speaking in tongues. Others will be bound together by, by their methods of justification or sanctification, and it'll bind them all together. And they, and, and they all come together as one and bundled together. But there's also being a bride gathered. Don't forget in all of this what God's real purpose is. Sometimes we look out here and we're, we're, so, we're so about identifying them and identifying, oh, they got miracles and signs and watch out and watch out. Listen, it ain't the signs and wonders to watch out for. The signs and wonders are yours. They're your inheritance. The angel was not, yes, and because she was a part of Abraham's group, she got some of the blessings. And the, the angel came by. And the angel spoke. And the angel showed, showed fountains of water. And the angel, the angel blessed them. But that's not what God's purpose and plan was. God's promise and purpose is get a bride in a rapture. And she's not going to be a weak, powerless group of people whose only weapon is argument. That she's got a better argument than somebody else about the Godhead or about the original sin or about water baptism. Or, uh, that's not it. Are you with me? Now, both Ishmael and Isaac are called Abraham's seed, but God makes a distinction. And he actually brings a separation. And he says, the children of the bondswoman will not be heir with the free woman. They will not go in the rapture together. I've got a body change for one. I've got, come on. I've got an appearance that I've got revealing of the mysteries to one. There's one that I, this is what I came for. This is my purpose. This is my plan. But yeah, I'll save them too. Yes, I remember Ishmael too. Now, this is what makes it really hard. Because of Susan Street Pentecost and the bride people, the, the bride age, are also called Pentecost. And one is the original. And the other has made the first claim on it. Now here comes the wheat plant again. Just before the grain of wheat comes, there's a stage that looks exactly like the grain. And can be mistaken for the full corn. But it's not. It's the shuck. Now, Brother Branham tells us in Resume of the Ages. That this age started just after the turn of the 20th century. And it was to be the age in which the true church would return to being the bride she was at Pentecost. And let me tell you, it still is. God hadn't given up on his promise. We know that there must be a necessity of necessity be a return of dynamic power. The believers sense this in their spirits and begin crying out to God for new outpouring such as was at the first century. And what seemed to be the answer, it wasn't the answer, but it seemed to be the answer, came as many began to speak in tongues and manifest the gifts of the Spirit. It was then believed that this was the long-awaited restoration. It was not. 
Now, I want you to get from your messenger. Azusa Pentecost was not the restoration. So they were not the book of Acts. And they were not the true Pentecost. But there is one that is. She is a, come on now, his word can't fall to the ground. Yeah, you got Ishmael, but that's not what I intended. That never was my plan. I've got a greater plan than that. And yeah, I'll save him too, but there's more that I'm gonna do with a bride elect people. And he said, that's what was thought to be a restoration and final quickening to the rapture had not come. It was a mixture of unrighteous partaking with spiritual blessings and manifesting the Holy Ghost. Or the, a mixture of the unrighteous partaking of spiritual blessings and manifesting in the Holy Ghost. And it was devil power. Also devil power as un, men were under the control of devils yet no one seemed to realize it. And then to prove it was not real, these people, before a second generation had appeared, organized and wrote their unscriptural doctrines and built their own fences as every group ahead of them did. So again, he gives identification. He said, they become a bondswoman. They wasn't a free woman. They identified them as a Hagar, themselves as a Hagar, not a Sarah. So these Pentecostal, charismatic, full gospel people were given the promise of El Shaddai. God was leading them right there. Notice this. The open book of both the Old and the New Testament. But they took the breast of denomination specifically the dogma of speaking in tongues as the initial evidence, and they denied the birth of the word. Now, Brother Brandon says some very startling statements, and I want you to get this. He watched the Pentecostal age after he came there. He made the promise of El Shaddai. Nurse for me. Now stop here just a minute. Remember, Shaddai comes from the root word breast. Well, you say, what does God have to do with breast? He, God, God there, God was giving birth. So in the type, he is showing himself as, as one who is giving birth to a child. Abraham, you're 99, but you're just a baby to me. And because you're mine, I got the right to name you. So he gets a new name. Come on. Amen. I'm going to give you my covenant, which is a seal of circumcision. Amen. That, you, that the world is cut off and you're marked by me. You are mine. Are you with me? And I'm changing your name and I'm changing Sarah's name. And I'm giving you now the full promise. I'm going to give you both breasts of the Old Testament and the New Testament. I'm going to give you the full word of God. I'm going to give you the full gospel, the whole word, every promise, every provision. Are you with me? Amen. And that was offered to the Pentecostals to have a real birth. 
Amen. But they didn't do it. They grabbed the breast from denomination where they come out of, I'm quoting. But then the real seed, real seed came to nurse on that breast. Now, the Azusa movement organized on the evidence of the Holy Ghost being speaking in tongues. Even Daddy Bosworth knew this was wrong and lost his position among them. He got kicked out of the assembly of God because of his position. But they took the breast of denomination by nursing for their strength, a dogma of the church of the initial evidence of the Holy Ghost. Now, this is where they, Pentecost gets, the Azusa movement gets their strength from. I spoke in tongues. And if they need strength again, they just go back and speak in tongues again. They draw from the dogma. A dogma is a, 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 a belief that is, that is set aside by the church. And they draw from the belief of the church that that is the initial evidence. And the Bible never places it as the initial evidence. Now, so again, you see, it is not, tongues is not the evidence of the Holy Ghost. Tongues is a gift of the Spirit and not the Spirit. And yet, they can still speak with tongues, bob their paint their face, drink their cocktails, cross-dress, sniff a little cocaine, marry, divorce, remarry, drink alcohol, get drunk, get arrested for drunk driving. And even, even sometimes, they didn't even have to many times leave their denomination. They could still be Episcopalian, Catholic, and yet and reject the truths of the Word of God. And Brother Branham's telling us over again, the Holy Ghost cannot deny himself. Let's get it straight. The Holy Ghost will agree with every word of God. See, not error with the shock. He said, but when you come to say, I and my father are one, remember that's what Jesus did. He come and brought further part of the word. And when he said, I and my father are one, they all left him. So we can't receive this. And so when they come to, I and my father are one, these other things like original sin, baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, one God, the shuck, the shuck mocks that. And then the shuck pulls away from that. But then he says, the real genuine bride church will bring forth the entire Word of God in its fullness and in its strength, for he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. So I want you to get it. The real genuine bride church will bring forth the entire Word of God. Amen. Amen. In its fullness, in its strength, for he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Now, as he said, and seed not there with the shepherd, Pentecost took speaking in tongues and they denied the birth of the word. That's exactly what they did. They'll take so much of it, but they won't take the rest of it. Denied the birth of the word like Mary did. Watch, there won't be no more organizations after this. No, notice what they did. They took, they took from the breast of denomination. Here, here instead of a seed coming that came from El Shaddai, from the supernatural, 
and from Abraham nursing his strength, here it comes from a bondswoman. And the strength they're getting comes from the bondswoman of an initial evidence of speaking in tongues. Now, but watch, there will be no more organizations after this. You see, Ishmael came by reasoning and by man's own human efforts to bring the word to pass. Instead of the supernatural, the Azusa bunch like Abraham did, they took speaking in tongues. They worked up emotions with manufactured tongues instead of waiting for the real manifestations of God. But watch, there will be no more organizations after this. God won't deal with another. That don't mean there won't be another form. That means God will not deal with another. The move of God will not come through another. Now, so again, that, that means that God will not use another organization to bring his word through. Now, physically, the Israelites today are a great nation of Arabs. They surround Isaac the Jews. They demand to receive the inheritance only given to Israel. Right? So is the church billions compared to the bride. Are you with me? And they are claiming the same inheritance. They're trying to put their foot on the ever promise, the rapture, the body change, divine healing, anything that belongs to the bride of Christ, they want it too. They are Ishmaelites. Now, there are, I'm going to just use some facts here for a minute. There are 2.3 billion Christians in the world today. In terms of overall number, the World Christian Encyclopedia currently counts 644 million of them are Pentecostal charismatics worldwide, including all the members of Pentecostalism's 19,300 denominations and fellowships. So the movement that began in 1906 has now grown and has mighty branches. 19,300 denominations and fellowships. Out of them have come more than a half a billion converts. Now, you don't mean, if you don't think that they become a great people, think about what, think about these numbers if you can wrap your mind around it for a minute. That there, you know, we have 8.3% of the world's population. That's what we're talking about. One in 12 persons today is Pentecostal or charismatic. One in 12. And looking at the current global distribution of Pentecostal charismatic Christians, the encyclopedia counts 230 million in Africa, 195 million in Latin America, 125 million in Asia, 68 million in North America, uh, 21 million in Europe, and 4.5 million in Australia and Oceania. Now, you're not going to tell me, friends, that God hadn't blessed them and that there hadn't been a huge gathering. Brother Branham told us, he said, 
Even when it was happening, he said, I foresee it as, as the foolish virgins being gathered because they are not getting the oil. You see, they, they might have a profession of fire, but their light goes out. Now, the Pentecostal charismatic movement is one of the fastest growing trends in the world of Christianity today. It, you know, and has been for some time. It grew from 58 million in 1970 and now is 6.56 million. Or six, six, five, uh, 656 million, 6.56 billion. Think about that. Or half a billion. A little over 0.65 million. Billion. Now, 0.65 billion. They've added 6 million people since 1970. Now, if you don't think there's been a revival, if you don't think there's been a stir, if you don't think there's been something happening, it's been happening. Now, and... And how did they do this? Through speaking in tongues. And in many cases, I want to get this, it started out as genuine, but then impersonations followed. Until today, there's hardly a shred of it but what, that is real and becomes just worked up emotion. Until there is now 19,300 denominations and fellowships. Pentecost is a form of Christianity that emphasizes the work of the Spirit and the direct experience of the presence of God by the believers. Pentecostals believe that faith must be powerful, powerfully uh, experiential. And not something found merely through ritual or thinking. Pentecostalism is energetic and dynamic. Therefore, it is a definite experience you have with the person of Christ in no certain uncertain time. It's a life-changing moment. You can't come to, through, to true Christianity through your intellect. You have to be willing to experience it first. And that's exactly what our message teaches. That you can't come with just your intellect. You've got to experience it first. And it's a life-changing moment. And it's a definite experience with the person of Christ. And it's energetic and it's dynamic. It's something that you know. Brother Branham types it as a world being renewed for the new earth. It's not a reformed earth through a reformation but a transformation. It's not a dried-eyed confession, but the igniting of a fire. So he states that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a definite experience that a person must receive. And he tells us, he explains this in future home. He tells us it is an experience. He says it's just like the world. When the world gets renovated for the new heavens and the new earth, he said, you talk about an explosion. He said, while well, the heavens will catch on fire. He said that it'll pass away with a great noise and, and it'll be an explosion that will rock the whole thing. You've got to kill every disease and every thistle and every thorn and the fire will burn it up. 
And remember, he said it's not just a literal fire, it's a holy fire. And we're not talking about the, for the burning for the millennium now, we're talking about the new heavens and new earth where God comes to live on it. And he types it out with the same thing. He said when a man receives the baptism of fire, there's a lot of noise around there. They think it's a shame to hear people scream and shout like that, but just wait until the earth gets her baptism. So he types it the same thing. You know, that, that sin nature is burned off. Ever shred of the devil. Ever dis- Come on now. Ever disease of sin. Every evil thing gets burned away. And Christ comes to live upon it. And it's an explosion. Are you with me? So Brother Bradham taught us the same thing. He said, you cannot receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost without an experience when it happens. Now, if you believe, say you believe every speck of the word you say, you say you believe every speck of it, then the word is laying in there waiting for the Holy Spirit to put it to work. But it takes the lighting of the candle. Here's a candle with a wick and the tallow and everything in that candle to make that candle. And he said, then the fire comes on it. But until it comes, it will not shine any light. No matter how perfect the candle is, how perfect it'll burn, it's got to be lit. And then it burns. And when you believe it are made up of the instructions of the Holy Spirit of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, the fruits that bears out until the Holy Spirit with a fiery experience comes down and lights that candle. You haven't received the Holy Ghost. You've got to have the experience to have the Holy Ghost. Say, Brother Tim, that's Pentecostal. Yes, they preach an experience. We should be preaching experience too. We certainly should not be preaching Baptist doctrine of you just believe the message and you got it. You see, it's not just simply believing and then confessing you have it. The token is the Holy Ghost. And let me tell you, the fullness of it didn't come till the evening time. When the full word was born in the manifestation by the opening of the seven seals, do you realize that you are a people who for the first time in seven ages since the fall of the church can have the same baptism of the Holy Ghost that they did on the day of Pentecost. Do you realize it come because the full word has been restored and out of that word is coming a birth, a supernatural birth. You must have the token, the Holy Ghost. If you just substitute the word token for Holy Ghost, that's what the word token is, the Holy Ghost. You must have the Holy Ghost displayed. Without it, all your believing is in vain. You'll live a good life. You listen to what the word said. You go to church, you try to live right, that's fine. But that's not it. When I see the blood, that's the token. You say, why the blood? Because on the day there, on the day of Pentecost or at Calvary, the blood cell was split open, releasing the life of God. And on the day of Pentecost, they were born of the birth of God. Born of the blood. The life that was in the blood came back upon the believers. Now you say, well, I believe every word, Brother Branham. Every word said, Brother Branham, that's good, but that's just being able to read. You look in the Bible. 
You know, they did not receive the Holy Ghost when they believed, but after they believed. You see, down in Samaria, let's go to Acts chapter 8 and verse 13. I'll just give an example. There's two places in there where you were sealed by the Holy Spirit of God uh, after believing. But watch down in Samaria. They had received the word, but had not received the Holy Ghost. They had believed and received the word, but still needed the experience. Acts chapter 8, verse 13. And Simon himself believed also and was baptized. In a few minutes, he gets to be called a a child of the devil. Because he tries to buy the gift. Amen. But he also believed, and when he was and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip, wondering, beholding the miracles and signs that were done. And when the apostles were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God. Did you notice they had received the message? Amen. Today we would say, well, that brother's believed the serpent seed. That brother has believed God sent a prophet. That brother believes the seals is open. That brother has accepted and embraced it. Oh, he believes and now in baptism in Jesus' name. We baptize him. He's got the Holy Ghost. No, he doesn't. He has received the word, not the spirit. He has received and recognized and believed on the theology, but he has not received the Holy Ghost. It's an experience. Watch. Samaria had received the word of God. They sent them John, Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Far as yet he was falling upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. So I want you to notice they believed, received the word, embraced its doctrines, accepted its truth, and still needed the Spirit. And that's the problem in many message churches today. They've done all of that and ain't got the Holy Ghost. Therefore, they're not living overcoming lives. Now, Jesus, speaking of the Holy Ghost in that day, he told us, in that day, ye shall know. Not guess, not hope, not imagine. Not believe because the preacher said, go back to your seat, boy, you got it. I want you to get this. Jesus said, you will know that I'm in the Father, the Father in me and I in you. So the Holy Ghost is something you can know. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 9, and, and being found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And he says, that I might know him. What? And the power of his resurrection. Now notice that I may know him. This is... This is not a guess. This is not an imagination. This is a knowledge you know him. Notice this, and that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. How do you know the power of his resurrection? It's when you yourself died to sin 
and raise up triumphantly over sin just as he rose up triumphant over death, hell, and the grave. Notice now, we got to know him in the power of his resurrection. I once was dead. I can point to a dead man, but I'm alive now. And I have the keys to death and of hell. Come on, that's, that's the experience of every true baptized, born again believer. Are you with me? So now, again, in the, in the late, 19, or late, late 1800s, I'm gonna get this as we kind of move right down into this thought now. In the late, in the late 1800s in preparation for the last age, there was an open door. The Bible speaks of this. An open door that was set before the world. And the Holy Ghost began to be poured out. Now, this will explain to you why the world is in the condition it's in. And he tells you in Jubilee here, he said the baptism of the Holy Spirit fell the first time since Pentecost in Russia. Back a hundred years ago, which would, that would be about, by his calculation then, would be 1854. And that's history. Now, I've, been, I've done quite a bit of history on that. that. Those Russians would spill over into Armenia. And Armenia there would receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And through a prophecy given by a boy prophet of eight years old who prophesied, you're going to have to leave Armenia and flee to the west and go. And he describes a country never seen a map and describes how to get there. And you will land on the east side and you will, you will go in the west side and you will be blessed. And it's there that there will be a blessing that will fall, that will bless the world. And Demas Shakarian, of Armenian descent, was a grandson of those who moved from Armenia because they listened to a prophecy that was given by the Holy Spirit as they there had received the Spirit from there from the visitation of the Russians and received the message of Pentecost. And now they come over there and then they find there that the same tongues and gifts and things are happening on Azusa Street. And there Demas Shikarian would in 1952 begin the full gospel businessmen that would be an oasis for Brother Branham where that the voice could be heard. The voice, the midnight cry. Amen to, the, to the, all the virgins, all the virgins, the wise and the foolish. Go you out to meet him. The bridegroom cometh. The message of his coming. And it would be heralded. and there would be an awakening among the foolish and they would realize we don't have the Holy Ghost. We don't have the oil. And instead of getting it, they get tongues instead. And it binds them together and they never hear the call come out of her, my people. They never get the prophecy. So they wind up in the tribulation. But there in, in Russia, the Holy Spirit fell. Now I want you to think. Moves over to Armenia. These people hear it. They will, they will receive it. They will embrace it. Prophecy falls among them. Real prophecy. And with this prophecy, they will cross, cross the sea. And they would come and they would wind up in L.A., and while there, 
while there, that because of heeding that prophecy, because it would be 50 years later after the prophecy that, the, that, 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 that boy prophet, now a man, would say, now the Lord has revealed it's the time. Let's flee now. And they sold out, sold out their farms, their heritages, their family heritages. Everything moved across the seas. It was driven to get out of there. You know why? A persecution was coming. And, and then you know what happened in Armenia if you know history. They exterminated a, a million of them, a genocide of the whole people and wiped out the whole countryside. The Turks did it. Now, so the Holy Spirit fell there in Russia. Now watch Brother Branham said. The baptism of the Holy Ghost fell the first time since Pentecost in Russia, 100 years ago. That's right, that's history. And they had the baptism of the Holy Spirit, worked signs and wonders a hundred years ago, and rejected it, Russia, as a nation, and turned it down. And when they did, they have now turned to an anti-God, anti-religious, become communists, cold, brutal-hearted. If you won't listen to God, he'll give you over to a spirit that'll condemn you. And be turned over to a reprobate mind to believe a lie and be damned by it. And that's where the Russian stands tonight is damned in the sight of God because it failed to receive the jubilee message of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They were turned over to a reprobate mind. They believed a lie and are damned by it in the sight of God. That's Russia. That's the condition of that country. Oh, Americans can now clap their hands and say, oh, yeah, you know, down with Russia and up with Ukraine and up with this and up with America. Well, listen to this. And is your life worthy of the gospel? I want you to listen to this indictment against the nations. Because remember, in our generation, they are rejecting the seal of God. Remember, Laodicea turns Christ down. Now, if Russia had accepted the Pentecostal blessing 75 years ago when the Holy Ghost fell in Russia, they wouldn't be communists today. Now, 75 years ago, they had a great revival in Russia. God came among them. They had great revivals way into Siberia. What did they do? They rejected it. And today, the country is gone. And the churches can't have church only under permission. And they're doomed into, into judgment. Has gone off in this wild tantrum of communism and sold out to the devil. Yay, Russia's of the devil. 50 years ago, the Holy Ghost fell in England. Just after that came George Jeffries and F.L. Bosworth and Charles Price and Smith Wigglesworth, those great warriors of the faith 50 years ago, and offered England the Holy Ghost revival. But what they do, they laughed at them. They put them in jail. They called them crazy. Thought they'd lost their minds. The churches refused the people to come hear them. They were healed. Of the, they healed the sick and they cast out devils. They'd done great work. And because that, uh, because at England as a nation rejected the gospel, her sins is known throughout the world. There's hardly a more apostate nation in the world, even including Rome and France and then England. She is a mother of apostasy. Right where Finney and many of the great men preached in the Haymarket and Charles G. Finney and Wesley and on down and she turned it down. 
And even last week in the papers, you find out great men so weakened to the sex of women, those spies come in, and their head man found some of them, more of them, and their magazines just packed it, and their sin scandals, and right in their government is so disgraceful name, their disgraceful name across the world. She's rejected the truth. She has her had her excuse, and she finished. She's finished. The England is all washed up with God a long time ago. Yay, England, America, 15 years ago, nothing to say of Azusa Street, but just 15 years ago, this is 63, when the great divine healing revival continued on from Pentecost to Azusa Street, broke out in the nation, and there was revivals in the capitals, Washington, D.C., you've seen them. You've watched Deep Calling the Deep right there, right there in the Capitol, just a block down from the, from the White House. Amen. The presidents, vice presidents, great peoples, governors, great things taking place. Governors and men were healed like Congressman Upshaw had been a cripple for 66 years and they could not turn their face and say it wasn't so. It was right before them, but they turned it down. And tonight, that's the reason this nation stays. She's doomed. There's no hope for it at all. She has crossed the line between judgment and mercy. And she's elected in what she has here to control the nation. And today, we have yet another Catholic president, a total reprobate. Come on. Amen. A woke generation. Are you with me? She is rotten to the core. Her politics are rotten. You cannot say we had an honest election. It didn't happen. Amen. The morals of this nation is lower than anything I can imagine. Her religious system is rottener than her morals. She becomes in doing this. She's now joined herself in all the churches and the nation to a federation of churches and has taken the mark of the beast. What a thing. Why? Christ gave them opportunity. Come to my feast, the feast of Pentecost, which means 50. And when, he, when the Holy Spirit poured out on Russia, they were, that was, they were called to the feast of Pentecost, spiritual feast. They turned it down. England, the Holy Ghost was poured out upon them. They turned it down. America, the Holy Ghost was poured out upon them. And they turned it down. Don't you see Revelation chapter 3, Laodicean age, Christ on the outside? While saying I'm rich and I increase it good and God, I don't need you. Come on. Amen. He said he bid three times and three times he sent out. They did not listen to the feast. And then he sent again. He said, go compel the people to come in. The table's got to be set. The table's ready. There's still room. And I believe, oh my, that maybe within the next few months or year or whatever it is, God is going to send another shaking across the country because there's somebody, there's a predestinated seed out there that the light has to shine on somewhere, somewhere in the world. The nation itself is gone. She's gone, but God's shaking another people. There's somebody going to receive it. Amen. They will be born of the word. They will be baptized with the Holy Ghost. They will drink from El Shaddai. They will take her strength from him. Are you with me, church? Amen. As he said, I was down this week and I saw in Little Rock 
or hot springs, said the, the, the governor of the state of New York, some kind of striptease over in Honolulu, Honolulu, dancing with her. Below that, another renowned man. What a disgrace. Look at our nation today. Look at the condition of our nation. Look where she's went to, how she has sunk. And that was minor to what's going on today. It's not just in the governments in your neighborhood. It's in your schools. It's everywhere you look. Look at the religious system. How can it be that the churches can ever get in that condition there now? Because they have rejected and refused the message of God, the invitation to come to the feast. Could you call that a life worthy of the gospel? That you, could you call a life that would set and permit the people to do the things and smoke cigarettes? And then he tells about a church. You know, down at a ball game they were having, the pastor smoked cigarettes after another. Another Baptist church, they had to let out the, for the church from Sunday school and extra 15 minutes so they could smoke. And then he said, John, the, John Smith, the founder of that church, prayed so hard that God sent a revival till his eyes swolled at night and his wife had to lead him to the table and feed him with a spoon. That man would turn over his grave if he knew the church. That church had got in that condition. That's the only thing. Remember, Jesus said, those that were bidden and turned it down would not chase his supper. When God, I want you to hear this, when God sends the Holy Ghost and he knocks at a man's door and he deliberately turns it down, sometime he'll turn it down for his last time. Amen. Then you won't be a privileged character. You can sit in church and listen to the gospel, agree with the gospel, and might be so much as say, I know it's right, but never put a finger to it to help yourself. You just listen to it. You know, I believe it's right. That's just sympathizing with it. He said, I can believe that's $10,000, or I can believe that's good water to drink, you know, but refuse to drink it. You know what I mean? This is eternal life. And to refuse it, one day you'll cross the line between judgment and mercy. You won't be privileged then to come and receive it. Let me tell you, we're really close to letting those with our filthy be filthy still. And those that are holy be holy still. There comes a time where the line gets crossed. There will be a day in the near future, there will not be another soul saved. Are you with me? There is a day in the near future, not another opportunity will be given to really receive the life of Jesus Christ. The last one will be receive the token, the ticket, the Holy Ghost to go in the rapture. And you can't go without it. Are you with me? We are in a serious hour. And when the nation is condemned, might as well clap for America too, because our nation is condemned. She is lost. She's crossed the line between judgment and mercy. You can't vote somebody in that'll change it. You can't elect a president. Even the, the scallywag we got in with Mr. Trump, he couldn't do anything. They fought him on every hand for every good thing he tried to do. And they wrecked everything just as soon as they come in and wrecked it until we have a wrecked economy, a wrecked nation. 
wreck value, wreck, wreck, wreck police force, wrecked everywhere, a wreck political system. Everything is in shambles. And there is no hope in this country. The only hope there is is a rapture. That's why it is so important for you today to be nursing from El Shaddai, to take your promises, to get your strength from the Holy Ghost and pull from the Word of God. Amen. That's why it is important for you to nurse on that Holy Ghost until your body is changed, until your experience is no more stale and stagnant and yesterday's memory, but it is fresh and it is up to date. It is something that you're getting strength from today. By rejecting your day of visitation, it separates you from God. Now, I've been laying these things in very methodically and very carefully. I have been doing more teaching than preaching. Some of these brothers will pick up on some of these things and they'll catch the inspiration of it and they will preach it evangelistically. But these things have got to be laid out where you fully understand where you're standing, where you know your day, your hour, your visitation, and what's important in this time. When you preach, you hit the surface of things. Now I'm going to go just a little further. Because I know, I know our time is now running out. And I haven't really got into where I want to go. But I'll recap it back off when I come again. Next week I'll be in Phoenix. But I'll come back again. And I'll recap some of this. But I want you to know. I want you, just, I want you to realize. As we go through these things. Don't dismiss these move of God's in the past as something that wasn't real and that their experiences are unneeded. In the early 1900s, God dealt with the Pentecostals with an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And since there's a bride of all ages, there were elect Pentecostals who received the message of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And they were elect men at their time. Don't look back at Azusa Street and say, oh, they're just a bunch of backwash. That was a false move. It was a real move. It's where the life of God was at that time. Elect men. Among those elect was John G. Lake. Apostle of South Africa, great man of faith, Smith Wigglesworth, F.F. F. Bosworth, host of many others. There were also hundreds of other men and women who rode on that wave of revival. And they were born of the word for their age. The truths that were being released at that time. And let me just tell you of them, they will make up that and be part of that great ransom throng in the resurrection. They will be joined by Wesley in the Methodist age, the Luther in the Lutheran age, and the others from previous ages. And they're just as much bright as we are. They'll be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
However, it is that same Pentecostal Azusa age, not these elect women, but the Pentecostals who are that lukewarm portion who reject truth and are spewed out of the mouth of God. And the real glory is gone. The real outpouring of the Spirit is void. And, and many times it's just left. Even Brother Brandon would make note of this with just a bunch of whooped up music where people are worked up. And the tongues were given, have given away from the original to a worked up bunch of nonsense or a confusion of language. I never received the Holy Ghost in a Pentecostal meeting. I went to Pentecostal meetings till I was nine years old, 13, 11, 11 years old. I've been to the altar there. I tried to get the Holy Ghost there. I had my experience of being beat on the back, my chin dribbled, my instructions to say Jesus, 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 Jesus until you get a confusion of language. I never could speak in tongues. I have, but I never did it there. But let me tell you something. It didn't start out that way. And I'm going to just tell you, our message did not start out as a powerless message. Without healing, without miracles, without signs, without wonders, without power. It did not start out just simply believing the message is right and you got the Holy Ghost. It didn't start that way. The Pentecostal movement, if I could just go with you just for a moment, because I want you to understand that though there is a false, there is real. And even Brother Branham would tell us in 1963 in Standing the Gap, he said, though it's, been, though it's been impersonated, there's always to be a real genuine gift of speaking in tongues in the church. But we, as a message community, have largely dismissed it all as being false. And we threw out the baby with the bathwater. But it didn't start out that way to be jabber and gibberish. It started out as a genuine move of God. Genuine tongues that could be understood. When the Holy Ghost fell, it fell first in Topeka Canyon, or Topeka, Kansas, under Charles Parnum. This would happen about 1900. 1906 would be Azusa Street. It would start in that movement from a black brother who was a convert under Charles Parnum and was a, who had been taught in his schools because he, had, he taught classes on the Holy Ghost. And Brother Seymour would, be, would, be, um, would receive that experience and then he would go to, to Azusa Street, preach these things, or he would hear these things, hear the priest, and then would have that experience in 1906. But when it fell in Topeka Canyon, Kansas, I don't think there's even a canyon there. But under Charles Parnum, he talked about, you know, the history of that movement talks about a woman who rose in the meeting 
and spoke for 10 minutes. No one in the audience knowing what she said. And an Indian who had come there and was visiting from the Pawnee Reservation in the territory that day, and he had visited the services, she stated that she heard him speaking in the language of her tribe and that he could understand every word of the testimony. There on Azusa Street, when the Holy Ghost fell there, people traveled from all the world to investigate what was happening. It was a large, um, probably more medium-sized auditorium with an upper room upstairs, and the, the place was open day and night for several years. They would have preaching two or three times a day, and the people would be in the prayer room day and night. There was a prayer, prayer going on night and day. At the close of the preaching, the crowds would, would uh, retire to the upper room to pray some more. And when the time came for preaching every service, the people had to be called from the, from the upper room of the place. And someone would ring a bell, and they'd all come downstairs for the service. There was a young teenage girl there by the name of Kathleen Scott. She was there praying in that upper room of the Azusa Mission. There was a man entered the building, and hearing prayers, he, he went upstairs to the prayer room. And the moment he entered, Kathleen, moved by the Spirit, arose, and she began to point at the man as he stood at the head of the stairway and spoke in a language other than her own for several minutes. Then the ringing of the bell started, calling the people to the preaching service, interrupted it, and the man grabbed a hold of Kathleen and went downstairs and waited until the order was restored in the auditorium as he was getting ready for the preaching. And he testified, he said, I am a Jew. I came to this, this city to investigate the speaking in tongues. No person in this city knows my first or my last name. And I'm here under an assumed name. Nobody knows my occupation or anything about me. I go to hear preachers for the purpose of taking their sermons apart and using them in lecturing against Christian religion. But said, this girl, as I entered the room, she started speaking in the Hebrew language. She told me my first name and my last name. She told me why I was in the city and what my occupation was in life and called me to repent. And she told me the things about my life that would be impossible for any person in this city to know. And then he dropped to his knees and prayed as though his heart would break. That's Jesus Christ the same. There was a man by the name of Jacob Rabowentz. He's a Jew. He was a Christian, but a guilty one because he hid his Christianity. He was a rabbi. He didn't want anybody to know that he believed in Christ. He had this deep split within himself. One swelter night in 1960, of July 1960, remember the healing revival still going on. He's invited by, by a friend to the First Assembly of God Church in Pasadena, Texas. 
while that revival was in progress, he was invited to go to it, and he was a little reluctant to go because he was wary of their emotionalism he heard about, but he agreed to go. The service was a typical Pentecostal service. It was songs, testimonies, hand clapping, finally a sermon. And at the end of the sermon, the evangelist invited anyone present who had a personal problem to come to the altar and receive prayers, receive the prayers of the congregation. And suddenly he was, this Jacob, he was seized with a whole longing, a great longing to lay down his burdensome double life. He had carried so long to resolve once and for all that conflict that was in him. But when the preacher asked about his special need and what it was, he didn't say anything. He just remained silent. And the, the evangelist said, that's all right. God knows your needs better than you know yourself. And turning the congregation, he requested to the, to the, the people that come stood around him to, to pray in the spirit for him and at that, there were several men left their seats and come to stand behind the kneeling rabbi. Some stood behind him. Some, some stood beside him. few laid their hands on his head and shoulders, and others just simply bowed their heads. And they began to pray and speak simultaneously. Some was in English. Others was in tongues. And suddenly Jacob raised up from there and turned to look behind him. And his cheeks were flushed and wet. And he said, that was beautiful. Which one of you is Jewish? He looked around and said, well, which one of you knows me? You forgive me, I, I, I don't recognize you. Who is it that knows me among you men here? You were just talking, there was still no answer. And the church became silent. said, it came right here, right here from behind me. Exactly, just exactly where you're standing, he said to one of the men, are you Jewish? And he said, me? He said, no, I'm Irish. My name is John Grubber. He said, you speak Hebrew? He said, no. He said, I, I don't speak Hebrew. He said, but that's the voice. That's the voice right there. He said, I don't understand a word of Hebrew. And he stood up and he said, you were speaking Hebrew right then. And he told the story. His voice was full of emotion. He said, can you imagine? And, 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 and Jacob would say later, he said, can you imagine that big Irishman behind me speaking the most beautiful Hebrew I'd ever heard? Could you imagine an Irishman speaking Hebrew at all? And he said, how do you know my father's name? No one in Texas knew my family. But here he said, I've dreamed a dream. And Hebrew, he said it, perfect Hebrew. I've dreamed a dream that you will go into the big populated places. And there you will preach. And there will be ones that, will, that have not heard will understand you. Because you, Jacob, son of Rabbi Ezekiel, will come in the full, fullness of the blessings of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the rabbi looked at Addison and said, what do you make of that? And there, that man turned there from his split decision there of trying to hide as a Jew and be a Christian, become a real Christian. So no, it wasn't just gibberish or jabber. There was real, genuine speaking in tongues. And the prophet of God said, it's always supposed to be in the church. Now, I just want to say, if that happened in the plant while it was the shuck, what about when it's in full grain? I just want to say, you know, we think 
so many times, oh, but it's drying time now. You know, that just can't happen today. We don't need that today. That, you see, that was when the plant was green and we're the golden grain and all the moisture has now been baked out and we are laying in the presence of the sun and ripened. And you didn't ripen, you rotted. That's not what that means. It means all the immaturity is baked out. The greenness, immaturity, parcel word has now given away to full word. Parcel inheritance to full inheritance. Like Brother Branham said, we now have the perfect divine interpretation of the word of God. And he said, and jumping up and down, trying to speak with tongues is over with. Jumping up and down like a kid, he said. Trying to speak in tongues is over with. It's not that tongues is over with. Amen. Goodness, that's part of the word. How could we leave part of the word behind? It's trying to speak with tongues by jumping up and down, working up an emotion. You see, the greenness has been baked out. We do not have to have a, we do not have to have a, uh, an impersonation. We can have the real. That impersonation is over with. This is when it comes back to genuine grain again. Brother Branham told us in the third Exodus, he told us, he said, he equated it like the brothers of Joseph when they sold that dreamer down to Egypt. He said, we won't need your visions, boy. We won't need your dreams. Yeah, your dream, ha, ha, ha. You know, you, what, what's going to come up now? You're going to be a slave down in Egypt. We were going to kill you, but we can make some money out of this. We don't want prophecy. We don't want speaking in tongues. And he said, he said, you see what I mean? He said, I'm sure you can catch that. That's the reason of it is because they thought they would never need it. They thought they would never need that dreamer. They'd never need the Holy Spirit to speak. They were seed of Abraham. They were prosperous. But they didn't know there was a famine coming. They didn't know that the prophecy was still going to be fulfilled. Are you with me? And he said, that's the reason they thought they'd never need it. We don't need speakers with tongues. Oh, no, this is after the seals. He said, we, we don't need interpreters of tongues. We no longer need Old Testament prophets to set us in order by the Holy Spirit. We understand it. They've adopted man-made systems to take the place of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, listen to this. Therefore, there are people that's elected who has their names on the Lamb's book of life, they can't go for that. They are spiritual minded, therefore they cannot go for that. They cannot stand it. They, no matter if their fathers and mothers was lived in whatever organizational church. Mm. You see, Brother Branham in his closing prayer, and, and it is the rising of the sun, he would pray this. He would ask God to pour out the quickening power of the Holy Ghost upon us, saying, quicken their mortal bodies. Then we shall hear genuine new tongues, powers of God, love untold, dying grace, living grace, and a resurrected Christ, a body, a bride, representing him on the earth. That was Brother Brandon's prayer over us. Are you with me? 
in, in, in condemnation by representation again, a prayer over his church in Jeffersonville. Granted, Father, heal the sick and afflicted. Bring them back to the old-fashioned revival type of the people today, a people today. Bring them back to original Pentecost. Bring them back to the blessing. Bring them back like Pentecost that fell in A.D. 33. Give them the Pentecostal blessing. May the power of God come into the church. May there be divine healing gifts give to the church. May there be speakers with tongues, interpreters of tongues. May there be gifts of prophecy and all different manifestation and not make believe or try to believe or put on but may it be real genuine coming with the word the word of God made known prophesying things that comes to pass amen let me just say it as we try to sum it up if the light that was in the stock produced justification won't the seed be justified if the life that was in the apostle produced sanctification, won't the seed also be holy? If the life that was in the shop produced the gifts of the Spirit, won't the seed have the same? Amen. How can we deny any part of this word? All of the word will be summed up, headed up into the grain. Hallelujah. He speaks of this maturity. And by the way, he refers us all the way through his, his ministry. It's a scripture that is seldom preached to anymore today. You hardly ever hear a message preacher refer to this scripture. And Brother Branham did it all the way to his last sermon in 1965. And now it's an overlooked, forgotten scripture. Now I've sparked your curiosity long enough to kind of get your attention just before I close. Isaiah 28, 9. Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. Watch now. He's going to have somebody he can teach knowledge. There is a people that know their God who will do exploits. Amen. There will be a people none of the wicked will understand, but the wise shall understand. You say, Brother Tim, you've been preaching about drinking from El Shaddai. This is totally different. This is now the scripture referring to something here as immaturity. And he said, who shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are coming to maturity. If we're in the grain, we should understand doctrine Amen, we should receive the knowledge of the truth. Amen, for precept must be upon precept. That means command must be upon command. Amen, if the Bible commands that a woman not to cut her hair, they don't cut their hair. If it commands they don't paint their face, they don't paint their face. If it says that a man should cut his hair, he don't wear his hair long like a hippie. Come on, somebody. Amen. If the Bible commands something, if he commands be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sin, we obey what he said. If he said you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, there's somebody going to receive it. Amen. For command must be upon command. And line or rule upon rule. Here a little, there a little. Hallelujah. Amen. That's the whole gospel. It comes from Genesis to Revelation. 
and the whole gospel must be brought out. The full gospel must begin here. And they preached it. And when they did, the power of the Holy Ghost came. Look, word upon word, scripture upon scripture, it all must compile together. Amen. Oh, my. You see, and our experience then must tie with the scripture. What's now? For with stammering lips and utter tongue will he speak to this people. To whom he said, this is the rest. Hallelujah. This is what the Holy Ghost does. This is the rest, the refreshing. Amen. Wherewith you may call the weary to rest. And this is refreshing, but they wouldn't hear it. Now again, Brother Branham preaches this and brings it out even in his message communion. And he said, when did that happen? He said, when was this scripture here fulfilled? 712 years later on the day of Pentecost, stammering lips set upon the people and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues and the Holy Ghost took their lives over and they ceased from their worldly thing. Then they entered into a rest with Christ. This is the finished work. Hallelujah, this is a seal. This is the Sabbath. And Paul applies the scripture to how the Holy Ghost speaks in tongues. Look in 1 Corinthians 14, 21. In the law, it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people. Yet for all of that, they will not hear me, saith the Lord. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign. And then he goes on, he said, it's a sign to them that believe not. Amen. But nevertheless, it is a sign. It is there, it is, a, it is a sign, it is there with, with, a, with stammering lips and another tongue. I will speak to this people. Again, I'm showing you, it, God still speaks in genuine tongues. No, it's not the initial evidence of the Holy Ghost. It's just one of the evidences of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost has many things. The Holy Ghost is the Word. In the Word is the power. Amen. These signs will follow them that believe. That is the, that is the sign of a Holy Ghost church. They will lay hands on the sick. That is a sign of the Holy Ghost church in action. Amen. If they, they will cast out devils. They will have power to make Satan flee. That is a sign of a Holy Ghost church. They will speak with new tongues. That is a sign of a Holy Ghost church. Though it's, been, though it's been totally impersonated, though it has been confused, you today can still drink from El Shaddai. You still can receive from the full word of God. Amen. There will be in this bride tongues, interpretation, prophecy, gifts of the spirit because it's in the word. There will be word of knowledge. Come on, amen, there will be word of wisdom. There will be laying hands on the sick and they shall recover. There will be power, amen, that is laying in that bride. There will be overcoming power living in his people. Amen, she will not be a powerless group of people that leave out of here, but she'll be a people with genuine movement, fullness of the Holy Ghost, with full power, full anointing, full presence of the Almighty God. Amen. I tell you, get ready for it because all the preness and immaturity is going out of the church and she will produce everything that is said in this word. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
name of the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. God is here in our midst confirming his word. He is there moving in his church. For he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His word is the truth. Let's rejoice right now. Lift up your voice to him right now and just thank him. Thank you, you, Lord. Thank you, you, Lord. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you that the promise is ours. It is yea and it's amen. That you manifest your word and glory, Lord. Lord, you said upon my sons and my daughters, upon my handmaids, I'm going to pour out my spirit. You're here pouring out your spirit, Lord. You're here, Lord, in this last day. And we're recipients of that divine grace. I pray, oh God, let us move in the spirit today. Hallelujah. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Father. We glorify your name because you are worthy. And there's no one like you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Mm. To reject the Holy Ghost is to reject Him. He is the Holy Spirit. Don't turn Him down. Don't turn away from Him. Flee to him. There's a gathering that's going on. There's a gathering that's going on. The Holy Spirit pulling one here, one there. There's a people that's here. Come out of her, my people. Listen to his voice today. If he's calling you out of sin, come out of it. If he's calling you out of sickness, come out of it. If he's calling you out of, of dead works, come out of it. Come into the living God. Come and know him in the power of his resurrection. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We glorify your name, Lord. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? He's opened the seals. He's revealed the mysteries. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Let the musicians come. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Amen. Who is it that's worthy? Amen. Is he the lamb? Is he, are you ready to worship him? Are you ready to see him manifest himself in his people? 
Here we have him working with divine signs, healing the sick, healing cancers, brain bleeds, crippled children. Amen, giving sight to those who are going blind. We're seeing him move among his people. We see him in his works. We see him as the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let him move in your life. Amen. Oh, you too, you can have a drink from El Shaddai. You too, you don't have to take the breast of denomination and, and just be a wild child. It never, never comes to the knowledge of the truth. You too can experience him in his power, in his glory. Return, oh, disperse to your own. There are those right here in this building. You know you need God. Amen. You know you need him. Reach out to him right now, wherever you are in your seat, right now, reach out to him. I don't know. I don't know. I wonder if there's anybody can sing that song. He's worthy. He's the lamb that can open the seals. He's worthy. What's that song's name? While they're thinking of it just for a minute. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anything impossible with God? That's it. That's the song. He's worthy. He's opened the seal, opened the scroll. He's the Lion of Judah. He conquered the grave. He's David's root. He's the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? He is. He is. He is.
Ah uh -huh. 